Our 100th episode is coming up on March 12th, and we're doing a giveaway. Yes, and to enter, go ahead on the giveaway post, tag three friends who aren't already following us, and then if you want to enter a second time for a bonus entry for this giveaway, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel and then send us a direct message with your YouTube username so we can keep track and enter you in for that bonus entry. Yep, for third place, we're going to be giving away a coffee gift card and stickers. For second place, we're going to give away third place prize plus a CCNC mug and t-shirt. And then for first place, we're going to give away all of that plus a pour-over uh, machine made by our friend Matthew that has our logo on it and a coffee hangout with me, you, and Tyler. Make sure you go and you enter for this great contest. Yes, you don't want to miss it. We'll be announcing the winner on the 100th episode on March 12th. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hi, thank you for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. And we are back today with our series uh, with just talking with special guests on the podcast. And today we are going to be talking with Pastor Mark Driscoll. Thank you so much for joining us today yeah. on the show. Welcome to my office. Yeah, yeah this is great. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for letting us invade Yeah, this is church. super cool. Yeah, so we're just super excited. Just uh, um, want to hear about your passion for ministry and apologetics and just uh, how you yeah. apply that into ministry. Uh, but before we get into that, because the podcast that we do, it's called Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We want to know, do you drink coffee? That's the first question. Yeah, I didn't for years, and then I prayed about it, and I felt... Amen. I'm just kidding. So, um, yeah, it's, okay, yeah. And so for, uh, for me, when, uh, when the weather is cold, I'll do uh, French press, mm. grind mm. my own beans, total nerd about it, no, has yeah. to be right. And then when it's hot out, we have this uh, cold brew system process that my wife worked out, takes 24 hours at room temperature. Oh, oh, There's a nice. science to the whole thing. And we love Phoenix, and, and we're here in Scottsdale. It's been great. But the coffee is not awesome. Anywhere you get more Republicans, the coffee's worse. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. They, I believe that. Yeah. They do. Yeah, yeah. Just, that makes but, sense. But the, 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 the further left the culture goes, the coffee gets better. Bizarre, I don't know yeah. why that is. <laughs> um, so we had to in, import some coffee. Yeah, okay. yeah that makes yeah. sense. Okay. Yeah. When being from the Northwest, yeah, the coffee oh, yeah. there is oh, yeah. just yeah. great. It's very liberal with yeah. very good coffee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So, that yeah, makes yeah, a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah. 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 Well, that's cool. Well, what we're doing on the show for the month of February is we're getting people we like a lot or oh, love yeah. a Glad lot. Glad to hear that. And we yeah. want to expose our audience to different people. So you are in this February series on people we want to let them know about. Okay. Um, and our, our show's about apologetics and how uh, we can impact our culture with them and what problems we see going on out there that really need, obviously, Jesus, mm -hmm. but how we can use good reasoning and good evidence to bring people to yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And so you've been a pastor for a long time. You've had a lot of experience in this. You've written a ton of books. You're currently the pastor here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale. So what do you see as are ways that you've incorporated apologetics as being a pastor? Because it seems like... For the last hundred years, a lot of pastors, they don't do apologetics. We've yeah. kind of abdicated that. Whereas it used to be pastor and apologist were synonymous. Yeah. <laughs> and that hasn't been the case for a long time to where a lot of Christians don't even know the word. Yeah. So, yeah, what have you done to incorporate it into your ministry and how is that working? So I'm going to be 50 this year. So, you know, it's past halftime. The band's already, you know, back in, <laughs> back in the locker room for me. But um, I have been a senior pastor half my adult life. And mm -hmm. so kind of my story 
I didn't get saved until I was 19 in college at a state university. Mm. So I grew up Jack, marginal Catholic, and then I get saved in state university. But I had a lot of objections and questions and, and difficulties sure. with the right. Christian faith. Yeah. And as soon as you go to state university, every class is hammering on Christianity, anthropology, mm. sociology, gender studies. Um, and so I started trying to figure out, okay, what do, what do I think about these things? And I got saved in college, and uh, one of the first professors I had was a philosophy professor. Hmm. And I was sitting in his class, and he's like, well, you know, just let you guys know, I'm, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, and so I'm going to present both sides of every issue. Like, at a state wow. university. And he like, said it out loud? He just said it out loud. <laughs> That's yeah, 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 I know. I was like, this guy had guts, I was That's like, for this sure. is crazy. Yeah. I didn't know, how did you sneak in? You know, it <laughs> must have been a you know, inappropriate interview that didn't really get to the important stuff. And so he had me read like David Hume on miracles mm. and then C.S. Lewis. Okay. And so I studied a lot of philosophy. And so I got into what was early postmodern thought and um, got into the history of ideas. And then I got a minor under him basically in philosophy and rhetoric. Hmm. And he's actually written some apologetics books. He's a godly guy, loves Jesus. And, and so it, it started answering my questions, and I got saved. So then uh, graduating, I started doing college ministry. Uh, my wife and I, we got married um, in college. And college kids got a billion questions. Sure. And that's if you want. I mean, if you don't know apologetics, you're going to be a college leader. You better learn <laughs> apologetics. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. And so then started doing college ministry, and then out of that came a church that started meeting only late at night for basically college kids. Started as a Bible study. So I would teach, and they didn't know that you're not allowed to stop and interrupt the pastor because they'd never <laughs> oh, wow. been to church. Sure. Yeah. They'd be like, ah, virgins don't have babies. I was like, I know, it's unusual. That's that's why it's kind of a thing for us. You know, like <laughs> yeah. dead people don't write. I mean, they just would interrupt. They just blurt it out. Oh, yeah, it was like, like I, I mean, I am hosting a Jerry Springer episode for Jesus. <laughs> it's just a brawl. A hostile crowd, yeah. So I, I finally would just told them, okay, hold all your questions. L let me at least get through my talk. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, I'll talk about whatever you want. And so all the objections would come. Mm -hmm. Well, then kids start getting saved, and this rolls mm -hmm. into a church plant. And next thing you know, I'm taking the end of every sermon, most of the time, to do Q&A. And then it gets so big, you got to text in your questions. But what I find is, um, it's what Tim Keller calls defeater beliefs. And this is, you can say something, but they've got a belief that defeats that. And unless you can remove the defeater belief, they don't accept what mm -hmm. you're teaching them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's where apologetics comes in. And what a lot of people don't understand... I'm more reformed. I say boxers, not briefs. I'm not super tight on my reformed theology. <laughs> but, um, but even with the Puritans, they tended to preach longer sermons, and people wonder why. It's because they would take time to answer the objections of the hearers. Mm. Okay. To present something takes a short amount of time. To anticipate the objections takes a little more time. Mm -hmm. And so Puritan preaching, historically, it was apologetic in nature. Mm. And so for me, I've just kind of always operated um, that way. And, and, and at, the, at, the, at the busiest, I think I was preaching six times on Sunday. I think it was 9, 11, 1, 5, 7, and 9. That's wow. exhausting. Dude, yeah. an hour each plus Q&A. I mean, no, I, it was oh not good. No. I, I, dude, yeah. I, I was ready to preach my own funeral. But what would happen is I'd be down on the floor afterward, and people would come up, and they would argue and debate because mm. we had mainly college kids. And so then the next sermon, I said, now, I know some of you are thinking, well, by the sixth one, they think you're a mind reader or a clairvoyant. <laughs> yeah, right, sure. <laughs> you're like, no, I've just been arguing with college kids. 
all day. Yeah, I know your objections. I know all your You're objections unique, by the yeah. end. And and it just kind of taught me as a young pastor and preacher, like, we have got to answer the objections. Mm-hmm. You can't just get mm-hmm. the plane up until you clear the runway. Sure. And apologetics is clearing the runway so we can actually get the plane up. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And that's awesome. I think back to, like, your story about your philosophy professor at a state college, awesome. right? Well, and so I know. Many... I thought this dude was like a unicorn. Like, I heard yeah. of you, but I didn't think you're real. <laughs> yeah, I didn't right. think you're <laughs> mythical <laughs> creatures, like yeah. evangelical philosophy profs at state university isn't that crazy but how important is it for people to go into that field intentionally you know oh yes i mean because i'm thinking about how how god used him in your life and then how you're impacting people's lives like that guy is legit like that guy really did a huge work for the lord phd by being faithful yeah Yeah, and his wife had a phd i mean they're brilliant i'm like Mm -hmm. okay you guys are well educated and you Mm -hmm. love jesus so kind of the cool story if i remember it right it was a long time ago so pulling up an old file, but there was a guy who was president of the atheist, you know, student group Mm -hmm. on campus and would host all the debates and trash Christianity and stuff. He took a philosophy class with this professor and this professor built a relationship with him, loved on him, didn't have a hand him at all, would have students over for dinner, open Q&A, what do you guys want to talk about? And and, uh, the head of the atheist organization on campus got saved, gave his life to Christ and started sharing his testimony. And you're like... And it, and it was because this man, who was my philosophy professor, was also very loving, very relational, very yep. kind, would have students over, actually cared about them. And so he lived like Christ. And so um, so when he would talk about Christ, he had credibility. Yeah. But, he, mm-hmm. but I mean, this guy was so bright. He graduated high school early, graduated college early. Hmm. I mean, really high IQ, yeah. but loved Jesus. Hmm. And so, you know, to me, that one guy in that context, I don't know how many people... You know, he really loved, helped, and served, but what a remarkable place to be. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. no kidding. It's like Daniel being, I'm in Daniel, right? I'm preaching the book of Daniel. So he gets promoted over all of the magicians and enchanters and, you know, people from Sedona mm-hmm. that are working in <laughs> yeah. Babylon. But yeah. he's their Bible teacher. What a great place for him to be, Yep. you know? No, that's awesome. It's so cool when you see people that are just faithful with where God has them at. Yeah. Right? And, and living it in the secular culture. And I think that part of what... As a Christian community in America, we kind of just left that. We, we mm-hmm. left the secular university, right? We let it become yeah, secular. that's true. Um, and then we made our little Bible college. And I went to a Bible college, so I liked it. But, <laughs> man, we're, we're just removing ourselves from the world, and that's not what Christ told us to be. We're supposed to be in it and stand for truth, but also, like you said, love people well, because that's what gives you the credibility. Yeah. Yeah. So with that background and kind of like how you came to Christ through this professor and and the influence he had on you, how do you incorporate apologetics in your ministry currently? Yeah. And so I preach long. So I think I'm usually 60, 70 minutes a sermon. Mm -hmm. So I I mean, it's like I'm union. I mean, I take my time. (laughs) Um, But for me, it is always trying to anticipate some of the objections and answering those. So like I was in Habakkuk. Uh, a couple of summers ago. Well, the whole book is about the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Habakkuk keeps going to God, you know, why are the bad guys winning? Why is everything so hard? You know, how come you don't show up and do something? Yeah. It's the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. And so the whole backdrop is simply that. Um, in other books of the Bible, there are whole apologetical questions that are getting covered. So I, I tend to preach through books of the Bible. I've preached or taught through maybe half the books of the Bible mm-hmm. at this point. And each one has a different kind of apologetical slant. So like right now I'm in Daniel and it's everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. Mm. 
Mm. It's counterfeit king, counterfeit kingdom, counterfeit religious spiritual leaders, uh, counterfeit dreams, miracles. Same thing as in the book of Exodus. Mm. All of that is apologetics. And it's it's trying to, and I think a lot of apologetics is simply also dealing with spiritual warfare. It's that God creates, Satan counterfeits. And so everything God is doing, Satan is trying to undo. Everything that God wants to teach you, Satan wants to contradict it. And so so it also includes spiritual warfare. And so for me, those themes have to come in. Otherwise, preaching has no evangelistic effort at all. And if all you're doing is educating Christians and not addressing non-Christians, you know, knowledge puffs up. And Christians that just learn, learn, learn without engaging, 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 they can be some of the the most pharisaical, the most religious, the mm-hmm. most legalistic, the most <laughs> judgmental, and, uh, because they, they feel like they have the, all the answers to the questions. Sure. And what you find is you start talking to non-Christians, they have totally different cr- questions than the ones that we're typically answering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And culture is always changing, and so there's different questions or different forms of questions that are coming up. Yeah. And if we're not engaging with non-Christians, then, I mean... Uh, I think that apologetics is twofold. It's to deepen your faith and your confidence in I believe in what's true. Yeah. But it's also to propel you to go out and to reach your culture for Jesus. Yeah, right. So we talk about that a lot. And, and sometimes, again, because I went to school, you know, for apologetics at Biola, right? And and not all. There's a lot of really awesome apologetics guys. But there's a ton of them that are just like, um, how do I say it? apologetics junkies, <laughs> right? Yeah. They just want to study and know everything and get every book and just, right. and they don't, they don't talk to a non-Christian very often. Yep. And I think you just get fat on apologetics or you just perpetually sharpen a sword you're never going to use. And what's the point of that, right? Mm. It's it's not healthy for us uh, as Christians. We need to be engaged in our culture. Yeah. But yeah, that is a danger that you see. One of the things that, that we did, I wanted to counteract that with youth, right? Because youth, like you were saying, they have the questions. And so we started doing these apologetics mission trips. So we'd go to, we went to Cal State Berkeley and had atheist professors come in and tell our kids why Christianity's crap. And then we would go yeah. to, we went to Salt Lake City and went to Temple Square and to BYU. <laughs> just evangelize. Yeah, yeah. the underwear, right. just gave it a shot. Yeah, yeah. just give it a shot, yeah. right? But we'd, we'd study for like six months before the trip. Every Sunday we had like this whole missions thing. And... Um, the kids studied way harder, knowing that I'm going to have to be face-to-face totally. with a real Mormon or face-to-face with a real atheist. Yeah, that's true. And that, that's what's missing from church, Yeah, is it's just come here and learn, but there's not a test coming. Yeah, well, physical health is all about resistance training. Yes, absolutely. You know, you put tension on the bar and you get stronger. Spiritually, it's the same principle. Mm. You need some resistance. I mean, so... For me, people are like, well, you know, how did you make it in the state university? Well, that's where I got saved in a hostile environment, Mm -hmm. and it forced me to study. It put pressure on me. Oh, yeah. In a way that, you know, if every professor in every class is antithetical to what I've just given myself to, then I got to double down. Yeah. You know. You um, bury your head in the sand or you figure it out. Yeah, and that's where living, you know, living in Jerusalem and living in Babylon, Mm -hmm. I mean— the kids that's you know going to make it in Babylon's probably got to study a little harder than the kids who's going to pass the life test in Jerusalem. Yeah, you know? no, that's true. Um, and and what, what I'd say in that too is, even for those that are, and I'm I'm a nerd. I got I mean, I've got five thousand books on my shelf at home. I got probably ten times that on my laptop, and you know I love dead guys and all that. But even as you engage with people, you realize that most of the time the scholarly academic work is trailing many years behind the cultural questions. Yes. And so, like, we did a do a little pivot, and if you want, we can give away uh, the book for free. But we yeah. did um, this little apologetics project. I wanted to find out some years ago, primary objections of the unchurched and de-churched to the Christian faith. 
So 900,000 random digital dial phone calls, a case study of 1,000 people chosen, a GFK Research Group, which is one of the leading in the world that does political data and does analytics for business, had a team of PhD sociologists put together a 15-minute survey that they did, took all the objections, young, old, black, white, rich, poor, urban, suburban, rural, number one objection of everybody was intolerance. Hmm. Did focus groups, three focus groups, uh, Three cities, six focus groups, one male, one female, uh, interviewed all these people. A person who does this professionally has done almost 2,000 of these focus groups for political groups and such, and then went through all the transcripts. And the primary objection is intolerance. But what was interesting is they did talk a lot about Jesus. And as I'm, and it was interesting getting into the to the data. Um, so it's like intolerance is fought in the gender realm or in the political realm or the financial realm. It's actually one war in just different fronts, and mm. it's always intolerance. So for them, Christianity is immoral. Mm. Well, that's a very okay. different objection, because most apologetics is, is Christianity true or false? Now it's, is it moral or immoral? Yeah, is it good or is it, is it bad? So yeah. if it's immoral, if it's, if, it's, if it's immoral, I have to oppose it. I have to deconstruct it. I need to destroy it, because yeah, it's right. evil. It's wrong. And yeah. That's a different perspective. And then what I found interesting in the data was some people's complete ignorance of Christianity. Like there was this one uh, focus group they're having the discussion. And the guy said, well, I just feel really, you know, uncomfortable about kind of the alt-right, kind of Nazi, uh, white supremacy uh, I, I Christianity. About that. And I was like, well, <laughs> I'm reading the transcript. And they, they, sure. the, the, the moderator asked, well, what happened? He said, well, I went to this church and, you know, halfway through, they all got up and gave the uh, German oh. salute. Oh, I was like, oh, yeah, if you've never been to a worship conference, that'd like, be weird. You know, this is Baptist. This yeah. is charismatic. This is Pentecostal. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, right, you were yeah. just in a charismatic church. But for them, the only time they've ever seen this is old B-roll footage of Nazi sure. Germany. You're like, yeah, freaking okay, out. Yeah, we got to wow. we, we there. It's <laughs> wow, like yeah. they're tourists in a foreign country. And unless we yeah. tell them what's happening, they could misappropriate the data. Mm. And then in that, the thing that I found kind of most curious in the data that we did was uh, their view of Jesus was really shocking. And apologists, I don't think, have really even touched this. Most of them felt that he did live, he was supernatural, mm. and he was an alien. Really? <laughs> so like C.S. Lewis's old thing, Lord, liar, or lunatic. Yeah. Alien. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And they kept quoting the History Channel and ancient aliens sure. and and Jesus okay. was an alien, or he was a lich, or he was a zombie, or and I'm just like, okay. Wow. I mean, you know, evidence that demands a verdict, which was <laughs> yeah. super helpful, and praise sure. God. Sure, and I, sure. I love Josh. I gave him a hug last time I saw him, but it's like alien. Well, but that that's actually closer to New Testament Christ Christology. Yeah. He did live, he had supernatural ability, he did miracles. And he defeated death. And he's not from here. And he's not from here. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. So it, Superman is probably closer to Jesus to Jesus yeah. than a lot of other opinions. So it's, not, it's not necessarily bad. It's a step in the right direction. Yeah, he didn't come <laughs> from right. another nation or another you know, planet, but he came from another realm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as you're talking to people, it's like, okay, if, if you are a nerd who's reading all the books, you may not be answering the questions that are actually being asked. And that's right. the danger of all apologetics, I think, is that, a lot, and I'm guilty of this, a lot of times apologists will answer questions no one's asking. Mm. Oh, yeah, like the supernatural. Yeah. Only the hardened atheists, which is primarily bitter kids that grew up in church. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
if you want to rebel against the religious legalistic environment, you become an atheist. So most atheists have church hurt, yeah, that's parental right. legalism, yeah. all of that. And, and, and that's unfortunate. But, but at the end of the day, for most people, yeah, the questions that they are asking are increasingly more moral. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, and, they're, and, and it's about the morality of Christianity. Because again, tolerance to me, that's the underlying issue. It's the counterfeit of repentance. Yeah. Christianity says there's something wrong with you. You need to accept that there's something wrong with you. You need someone to forgive you. Um, otherwise, there will be eternal consequences. Mm-hmm. Tolerance says you're fine. Yeah. You don't need to change it all. There's nothing that there's needs nothing, to happen. There's, you need to have a parade, right. not a funeral for your behavior <laughs> yeah. and lifestyle. Yeah. And and that, to me, is that's the whole crux of the matter is are we going to preach repentance or tolerance? And you can't. You can't preach the gospel without preaching repentance. But if the primary cultural opposition to Christianity is that it's intolerant, we have to deal with that issue. Yeah, before yeah, you even get off the ground. Right. You before you get off the ground, because yeah. the goal is to bring you to repentance. Yep. Which yeah, is, and you see, too, that's just like culturally how things are going, too, in that direction of just focus of tolerance and acceptance, and regardless yeah. of the, the... Unless you're a Christian. Unless right? you're a Christian. It's yeah. self-refuting, because they're not tolerant to everyone. Like that's that's, that's the hard part. Yeah, of that's it, what's right? interesting. So to say so, Jesus is immoral or Christianity is immoral yeah. when it comes to gender issues or sexuality or whatever isn't a tolerant thing to say. Yeah. But the, but but it is. So what I what I found is going through the transcripts on the data that, that, that we did with the focus groups, they use black and white thinking when it's convenient. And they'll use gray thinking when it's convenient. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so when it applies to their judgment of others. They do what we all do. It's black and white. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm moral. You're immoral. Mm. When it comes to them, it's, well, who are you to judge? You know, we're supposed to have gray. Yeah. And there's actually, <laughs> I put it in the book, and there's one discussion where literally the person's like, well, I feel like we're bashing all the non-Christians, uh, and I'm, I'm not sure we have the moral right to do that because we just said that it's wrong to judge people. And then somebody in the group said, well, it's okay. We can judge them because they're wrong. And then they all laughed and moved on. I was like, okay, well, wow. all right. Sure. Like, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think, I, you know, it's, that's just the world we live in. But unless yeah, you're, is. but see what Christians do, then we get on our heels. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're right. We're, yeah. It's def- defensive instead of offensive. And I think too, there's another category to that. It's not just they use black and white when it's convenient and gray areas when it's convenient, but they cast themselves as the altruistic I'm positive, you're negative. Yeah. In you know, in both spheres, right? So it's a bullying technique. It's you know, it's an ad hominem attack. It's you're the bigot for disagreeing with me, but mm-hmm. when I disagree with you, I'm open minded and I'm kind. And yeah. I'm <laughs> and just defending the oppressed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's just it's a really clever tactic to cast yourself in the positive and your opposition in the negative, but it doesn't it's not a real argument. Mm-hmm. But Christians fall for it. Mm-hmm. And instead of yeah. instead of saying, No, hey, we can love you and disagree with you. And we can have reasons why we believe what we believe. Um, we we back off and go, oh, okay, well, I don't want to be a, called a bigot or anything like that. Well, so, again, digging in to just this one project, um, the dictionary definition of tolerance has changed. Hmm. Yeah. So if you just look at wow. different editions of Merriam-Webster, whatever, you know, whatever the dictionary might be, it went from basically you and I disagree – but we believe that there is truth, mm-hmm. and so we're going to dialogue our disagreements. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm right. Maybe we're both wrong. Mm-hmm. 
that the truth is out there somewhere, to quote a bad old television show, (laughs) the truth is out there somewhere, and it's through our disagreement that we'll come to that truth. Mm -hmm. The new definition of tolerance is you're right, I'm right, I celebrate you, you celebrate me, there is no right answer. Mm -hmm. The the Mm. truth is not out there anywhere. That's very different, because what it means now to be tolerant, I don't need to just accept you, I need to celebrate you. Mm -hmm. And that's where as a Christian, you're like, I can accept you, but I can't celebrate you. Yeah. I can't, so that, what that means is unless I join your parade, unless I like your hashtag, unless I join your social media movement, I'm being unloving, unkind, and intolerant, and bigoted. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that whole definition of tolerance, literally older generations will have a very different definition of what that word means. Mm-hmm. And I think social media is a big part of this because now I get to celebrate you know, you, yeah. and then you no, celebrate true. me. And I think the reason that it's so appealing, especially for younger evangelicals to cave, is older people care about their capital, younger people care about their social capital. Mm. Older people count their money, younger people count their followers. Yep. And, you know, to me, that's fear of man. Yeah, that's, yeah, no, it is. That's approval ratings, yep. you know, and you, you don't want to get yourself in some sort of negative social environment because you've pushed back or failed to promote something. That's why these huge social media trends, mm-hmm. you know, things will roll through. And unless you unless you like it or repost it, you know, it's like, well, how come you didn't get on the bandwagon? Yeah. Well, what do you think about, yeah, I, I see even like a lot of Christians, whenever anything happens, it seems like you have to respond immediately <laughs> yeah. to what to, to everything. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you're not loving or you're not. And it's like, I don't know if we have to do that with everything, even non non uh issues non things that we don't that we disagree with right like obviously there's things i won't promote but it's like everything that happens in the world you as a pastor mark driscoll you need to respond to and you need to write a statement about what your thoughts are on tragedy happening every time tragedy happens and it's like well yeah but then you turn turn it it the other way and it's like you know it's back to what we said about tolerance and like the reverse idea of it. It's like when you, uh, they expect like a response out of Christians over these issues, but then you flip it around the other way. If like Christians are proposing certain terms, like it, there's kind of like, there's not that same expectation of like the world has to meet to these terms. And, like, you know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like it just, it, our Christian hashtags aren't as popular. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Christian <laughs> hashtags. Like that's a good example. And it's like, that's true. yeah. And it's just thinking like, uh, um, just the cultural, uh, hypocrisy there. Yeah. It's really interesting just seeing that transition. So, well, and even with the new definition of tolerance, cause you're right. It's, right. I mean, it's changed. It's interesting to me how Christians, uh, it's sad to me cause people don't think a little bit to see, hold on. They're changing the definition, but they're still pushing a meta narrative truth that we can't know what it is. That's that's the basic claim yeah. of it. You can't know what it is, so you have to celebrate everybody. Well, I can. What if I disagree on that? We can't know what it is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and that's the that's, big disagreement. Yeah, and the right. But they make too, us play with every social cultural issue. The question is not do we draw a line, but who gets to draw it and where do we draw it? Yep. So, for example, yeah. take the marriage issue. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Like, okay, how about a woman and a woman, a man and a man? Okay. Well, what about three people? What yeah. about six people? What yeah. about what about people who are bisexual? What about polygamous? I mean, we're in Arizona. Yep. I mean, if we got a rock and threw it, we might hit a polygamous family. No, it's true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're all over the place, and yep. they're definitely up in the mountains. I mean, yeah. they've got yeah. their canned goods, yeah. and you know, their seven wives, <laughs> and they're churning butter and yep, wearing bonnets. I mean, yeah. it's it's different up in the mountains here. 
But at the end of the day, it's like, well, they've just drawn the line somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and the it, belief is that the government makes the line of morality. It, and why right 18? Now, that's why think. is 18 the line? There are other people that be like, why is 18 the line? Yep. All of those are arbitrary. And when you start pushing, you realize everybody has a line. We may differ on where the line is drawn. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's the issue is that the tolerance, the diversity, the plurality works in theory until we all need to live together. It works yeah. great if we're all on an island. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, try being a smoker, you know, in the mall. Yeah. You're going to find that they drew a line. They're intolerant. Of They're that. very intolerant <laughs> of yeah, your diversity. Right. You can't smoke indoors in yeah, Arizona you know, like if anywhere. You're, if, yeah. you're, if you're a kindergarten teacher, yeah. you know, Smoking Marlboro <laughs> yeah, Lights, right. nope. and you're like, hey, this is my lifestyle. <laughs> I identify as, you know, yeah. pro-nicotine, yep. and who are you to judge, and this should be a safe space. They're like, yeah, but other people have to be here too. Yeah, And and that's where the whole thing falls apart. That's why you have such a fragmented, hostile culture, uh, because people keep, they have this idea of tolerance and diversity and love, and then they bounce into one another, and they're offended by one another, so they fight over where the line is drawn. Yep. And it, it explains all the moral outrage on every social issue. Yeah. And so my point is, everybody believes there should be a line. We just disagree on who gets to draw it and where it should be drawn. Mm-hmm. But I, I promise you, like, for example, in our lifetime, you're going to see polygamy legalized. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe it. I bet we'll see pedophilia legalized as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's yeah. the lines are moving. It's the same argument that was made for homosexual marriage. It's just, for some reason, the government hasn't allowed it. It's the exact same argument, though. Who's to say I can't do this if... Two people are consenting. Yeah, love is or love, three right? or four That's or whatever. Well, you're going to hear the like arguments that. are going to come out like, well, it reduces divorce and yeah. people that are bisexual get to express their full sexuality. Mm. And isn't it better for kids to have three or four income earners provided? But I sure. mean, you can. I mean, you can make you can the case. See the arguments. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, yeah, you could stack up the Jello. You know, yeah. I mean, you could do it. I'm not sure it holds together, but the argument can be made, and yeah. and it's true on every issue. Mm-hmm. It's true on every single well, issue. And what's so devastating about all of these is that whenever human beings live outside of the way God designed us to live, it's bad for us. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think people have caught on. Like, I often think about, you know, smoking cigarettes is bad for human beings. We didn't think that when they first came out. We, everyone was pretty <laughs> right. okay with it. You smoke on a plane. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I was on a plane <laughs> recently, and they had the... The ashtrays. Still? Wow. I was like, dude, you didn't get off? Yeah, I, I was going to say. Plane is older than me. <laughs> like, trust how that. old wow. is this? Like, how long <laughs> yeah. has it been since That's you scary, could smoke yeah. on the plane? That's Holy really smokes. Scary, yeah. yeah. Holy smokes. I think, yeah. <laughs> That's freaky. Yeah, I think about like that, though, but people were mistaken about reality because you know what? Reality doesn't care. I think about that all the time. It doesn't care. And it doesn't matter if your society accepts smoking in Sweden and it doesn't in America. In both places, smoking's bad for human beings. And there are moral issues that are just like that. Certain things are bad behavior for human beings, and they destroy us quickly. And I think that people will catch on to that after a while. I hope that they will. Maybe they won't. We caught on with smoking. But some of these moral issues, I wonder, you know, will there be a pendulum swing back with this transgender thing's really hurting a lot of people, and the suicide rates are skyrocketing when people have sex reassignment surgery. Um, I'm hoping that the pendulum swings back, but what I'm really afraid of is that with a lot of these moral issues that we see in our society, um, a lot of them are being used as political tools, right? Like when I was oh, a kid- Everything's the, politicized. Yeah. yeah, when I was a kid in the 90s, I remember Save the Whales was this huge thing <laughs> all over the place, right? And you know, Free Willy was a propaganda movie. People were saying all this yeah. stuff, you know? And um, I don't hear about Save the Whales anymore. 
because it's not a it's not a, a political tool that works. the dolphins. Yeah, yeah. You're immoral if you have a straw. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's right. A, the, yeah. The, yeah, it's just trends. It's just trends. But what yeah. what I'm really sad about is thinking about you know the transgender issue and and, and different issues like that that are a political tool right now. There's going to come a point where it's not advantageous for your politics to attach yourself to these issues, mm -hmm. and those people just get disregarded then. It's just, they're just being used as this thing, not because people care about them, but because they can get ahead with it. Mm -hmm. And as Christians, are we going to be there to love these people that are still struggling with stuff, right, mm. after it's not a fad in politics? I, I think about those things, and th I think that's really where, like you were saying earlier, you can't just have truth, but you have to have a Christian love that accompanies it and really be Jesus' hands and feet to a society, and that's where you make the change, not just passing laws that allow people whatever type of sin they want to do. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. But nothing, nothing's new right now. Uh, the, no. You read about first century Corinth. <laughs> yeah. That was bad. Ephesus was bad. This is it, oh, you this is back, new for I us. Mean, I mean, I'm in Daniel. So they're, yeah. they're like, okay, you're a castrated vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. That's Daniel. That's I'm Daniel, not even yeah. making it up. No, it's true. You know? yeah. And he's a teenager, mm. castrated vegetarian forced to go to a pagan school mm. and study witchcraft, demonology, and everything that's opposed to God. And it's yeah. like, so certain surgeries, certain dietary choices, and certain educational paths are about 2,600 years old. Yeah, nothing yeah. new. Yeah, right, it's <laughs> very know, true. It seems new to us because we're the freshman class, sure. you know, but the school's been, and so that's part of it for me is I think at work behind all the systems of the world, I think that there is spiritual realities. Yes that are at work. And that's why you see certain trends throughout history, education, politics, and the like. So times come and go and, and, uh, and people come and go, but the issues remain. And I think behind that, a lot of it is spiritual warfare, which mm -hmm. is meaning for us, if we're going to do apologetics, the argument is not to win an argument, but to win a person. Yes. Because that person is not the enemy. They've been taken captive by the enemy mm -hmm. and they need Jesus to set them free. Yeah. Um, and we, and that's all of us apart from the grace of God. And so see, that's what I don't think a lot of people understand because the, the attitude towards Muslims, right? Like I mean, I remember before he got he got killed, I was praying for Osama bin Laden. I thought, what if this guy came to know Jesus and he's touring our churches? Like that'd be that'd be awesome, right? Um, man, a lot of people were like. I want him dead. Like, let's let's get revenge on him. Let's go and seek it ourselves. And you have this attitude, even amongst Christians. And again, because like you said earlier, we're more of a right state. You have this yeah, attitude. We're libertarian. Arizona's yeah. weird because like Texas is conservative-ish. Mm -hmm. California is liberal. We're in the middle. It's like they had a baby. Yeah. And that's a libertarian. <laughs> so we got a lot of California That's a libertarian. Here. Yeah. So it's like we slide on the issues. That's why like yeah. a John McCain, you're like, which team is he on? <laughs> kind of a reversible <laughs> sure. jersey depending upon what the issue is. No, it's know? very true. But you have this like attitude towards America is the savior versus Jesus is the savior. Mm -hmm. And I see that in, in a lot of the church I've worked in and just in Christians I've known because I grew up in the church and it's not all Christians and they wouldn't say it but that's that becomes the attitude like we have mm. to vote our our religious truth back in and I, and I think America is cool and I think it's great that we can vote and have have a say but I don't think that it's the savior and if things got really bad here I think I'd still be a Christian <laughs> and yeah. I'd still follow yeah. Jesus and I wouldn't care. And it wouldn't be the first time this has happened in Christian yeah. history. I don't know. I, I just see this like disconnect between people wanting to go back to the forties and fifties 
an idealized version of the 40s and 50s versus, hey, maybe we should just be who we're supposed to be no matter what happens. Um, And that concerns me a little bit. I I think it's more of the older generation maybe than the younger. Well, I think the pace of change has got some older folks a little freaked out. And I think the Mm -hmm. access to information. Yeah. it used to be that things were happening, but you didn't know about it. Yeah. I was talking to Rick Warren some years ago. He said it, communication is instant, constant, global, and permanent. Mm. Instant. Like, you don't have to wait for the news reporter to go write the story and then kill some trees and then find sure. some ink <laughs> yeah. and then have a kid on a bike, bring it to your house. Like, it's instant, constant, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, turn on your phone, you know, and it explodes. Global. You're now hearing about things happening all over the world and you're watching it Mm -hmm. and permanent. Once it's out there, it's out there forever, which increases people's anxiety and even that sense of paranoia or conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. You add all of that together for people that are not accustomed to the new technology and and the pace of change. It feels very overwhelming, very destabilizing, Um, you know, because now you're worried about things that previously wouldn't have even known about. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's true. And you're almost worried about if you don't hear about the things you should worry about. Oh, you start looking. Yeah, and and you can't turn off your phone because you might miss something. And there's yep. this weird, yeah, new hurried lifestyle of panic that's occurring in in all of us. Um, yeah. Where maybe you should shut off your phone for a few days. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. I think we'll live. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can live without MapQuest anymore. But yeah. <laughs> or not, no, MapQuest is the old one. Yeah. Google that's Maps the old is the one. Yeah. Yeah, Waze is what you do now, brother. Yeah, so, that's right. Um, I guess. I see, I'm not hip. I'm not up to it. So, yeah, it's fascinating how culture changes and then Christian response to it. But like you were saying earlier, we don't want to be behind the trends as believers in Jesus. We want to get ahead. And I think for the past eh, 150 years, we've been real behind on stuff. And so... I like a lot of what you're doing here and what you've done is just because you've really embraced media, right? Mm-hmm. All of your sermons have been online for like ever. I mean, I remember watching in college your old sermons yeah, and things I, like that. I think my and, sermons have been since you plugged in your phone and, yeah. <laughs> and then you <laughs> right. wait four score and seven years for the download. Yeah. yeah I've been but, doing this a while. But Paul went to the marketplace, right? Yeah. And the marketplace is YouTube. The marketplace is. is online. That's where yeah, the we number need one to search be. engine right now is YouTube. Yeah. It is. That's where we have to be. Yeah, so uh, the guys that are like, I wrote a book. It's like kids don't read. No. The average man reads less than a book a year. So if you want to reach men, you better find a video camera and, you know, say something in English. I mean, you got to simplify it. And so the the world has gotten a lot smaller, um, but I'm not sure it's gotten a lot smarter. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's it's really finding ways to distribute. But every time that there's been a transition in technology, there's been a revival. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Jesus comes during Pax Romana, Roman peace, and now the news can get out because there's a Roman road system that allows that to happen. Yeah. And then, you know, you see major transitions. The whole Reformation is in large part because of the printing press. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. You see major access to closed countries when radio comes out. Yeah, now we now right. we don't need to sneak into the country. We can broadcast over it. Mm-hmm. Television brings into mm-hmm. being guys like Billy Graham. Yeah. And now you've got amplifiers and stadiums, whereas previously, like George Whitfield, he's yelling at you and then he's throwing up blood. He doesn't have a microphone and an amplifier. Yep. Well, then you add to that um, social media, the Internet. It's, it's a new communication medium. And so, you know, usually Christians are early adopters to get the gospel message out. But right now, I mean, the, the t- Christians are pushing very hard, but really everything in technology is being driven by the porn industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. Cheap video, um, you know, accessible, high Internet speeds, mm-hmm. all of the data-driven stuff. And so, 
you know, it's it's a really bizarre world because it used to be that communication mediums were a little bit more medium. Uh, now they're they're actually on the dark side of the force and Christians are seeking to use them. So I'm wondering yeah. like, when does quoting Romans 1 get you banned from Facebook? It's, yeah. When does Romans have, right? 1 get you kicked off of Twitter? Mm -hmm. You know, when does teaching a biblical view of marriage or sexuality or eternal life or pick a category yeah. get you banned from YouTube? Yeah. And mm -hmm. yeah. because those are those are not necessarily free speech zones, those tend to be privately held companies. And so we're into this very unpredictable universe. We're into this new exploration. Mm -hmm. We don't know exactly where it ends up. Yeah. Um, and so I would even say for those pastors and Christians, use all the mediums to get the Bible teaching out, but assume that there is coming a day when those portals are closed. Yeah. Well, and even to extend it more, another portal closing might be you lose your tax-free status if you're teaching these things. Mm -hmm. And I, I know a lot of pastors worry about that. And I always think, well, who cares? Like, are we going to stop? And are people yeah, going right. to stop, stop giving because they can't get a tax write-off? I mean, maybe some will. Yeah. But we'll, I think we'll work. I think we'll be okay. Jesus said, uh, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell yeah. right, won't prevail against it. So I don't know. I think... Uh, mm. I don't know. We, we don't have to worry. And I think we live in a, a time where there's right. this huge spirit of worry in so many different ways. Um, but we can have confidence that our Savior wins. He, he tells us he wins. And we've seen our brothers and sisters in the Lord go through crazy stuff in the past. And uh, if we have to go through it, it doesn't sound fun. I'm not, like, looking forward to that. Yeah. But it'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it will right. be okay. Yeah, I'm not signing up for persecution. No. But if it comes... Yeah. It is what it is. His grace is enough to get me through it, and I know where I'm going. Yeah, so I don't know. I think we're kids. Do you have kids? Yeah, I have four kids. Okay. That's very efficient. Congratulations. Oh, what are their ages? Uh, they're little. So I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a seven-month-old. Okay, wow. So you're in it. So we yeah. are 14, 16, 18, 20, and 22. Okay. We have five kids, three boys, two girls. And I think part of it is... I think especially for parents and grandparents, it's looking at what the reality will be in mm. 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, 30, 40 years ago, I mean, nobody was thinking about the internet. I mean, nobody was thinking no. about same-sex marriage. Nobody was thinking about any of these things. They seemed like fantasy, like outside of the realm of possibility. And so I think where you see for a lot of Christians, they feel like, I can handle it, but I wonder what kind of universe, what kind of world, what kind of reality my kids and grandkids are going to live in. Mm -hmm. And uh, in school curriculum, mm. you know, I mean, a lot of that, if you're a parent, you're like, good night. I mean, yeah. if, if we're here, if, if the pace of change is this fast, what happens in two to three decades, mm. you know, and what is what does the future hold? And so um, I think for a lot of Christians, that's where their anxiety comes in. Yeah. And and you'll hear the myth all the time, you know, well, the church grows under persecution. No, it doesn't. The church grows under persecution until it becomes a place that you can no longer have a family and raise your children. Mm. So like under, you mentioned it earlier. So under Saddam Hussein, horrible man, thought he was mm. the reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel. Yeah. Was rebuilding Nineveh, was rebuilding, wasn't he? Yeah. Was rebuilding, yeah, Babylon. <laughs> so, but he did protect um, Christians in the same way that Nebuchadnezzar did, because he saw the benefit of the God of the Bible had okay. benefited Nebuchadnezzar, so it benefit mm. him. So we take out Saddam Hussein, which I'm not opposed to, but then you have massive terrorism, and what's happened is Christians have fled Iraq. Iraq was one of the most populated Christian nations in the Middle East, hmm. and now it's they've completely fled because of persecution. And when it reaches a point, it's like, 
they're going to rape my daughter. It's, you know, convert or die. Yeah. It's, they're going to plunder my house and they're going to harm my wife. Mm -hmm. It's like, gotta we got to go. Yeah. And so that's where guys like Daniel, who, that's guys like Paul, guys like Jesus, um, they have no wife, they have no kids. And so, you know, they it can works. die on the yeah. field. But mm -hmm. if you got a wife and you got kids, you're like, I, I'm also obligated to care for them. Yeah. And, and I think that's where a lot of Christians are at, mm. looking at where the culture is trending and going, which increases their anxiety levels. Yeah, mm. no, that's yeah. really good perspective. Man, I'm glad I know Jesus. Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> right. yeah, it would be oh, such a confusing time if you didn't. Bro, if you know? I didn't think somebody was over all this, they're... Every day is a bad day. I'd sleep with a helmet and a cup on and one eye <laughs> yeah, open. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's Arizona, so gun under your pillowcase. Gun under yeah. the pillowcase, fully loaded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, this has been really awesome. Uh, yeah. We're yeah. so yeah. thankful yes, that you so came much. on. If people would like uh, to check out more of your books or to just watch your sermon series, where can they go to find you? Just markdriscoll.org. There's over 300 sermons. There's Q&A stuff. There's apologetics. There's all kinds of stuff. I do questions every mm -hmm. week where I kind of do an apologetics question. Uh, video. It's all up there for free. But uh, two, if you're willing, that book, uh, Christians Might Be Crazy, mm -hmm. give you the PDF. You can give it away to everybody. And Yeah. Like, yeah so we just, love that. We'll, great. Put, yeah. we'll put that free yeah. PDF book in the show notes. And yeah. then people can. Yeah, oh, morning. thank you so much yeah, for that. That's yeah. really yeah. kind of you. So make sure you pick up that free PDF. You can find it yes. in the show notes. Um, send Mark Driscoll an email saying thanks for that, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that right. would be awesome. Um, but uh, we're really thankful that you came on the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks you know, for, for loving and serving today. the Valley. We're glad to be part of the broader church here. We've been really loved, welcomed, um, really wonderful churches here. Mm. A sense of collegiality. It's the fastest growing city and county in America, so we yeah. all need to work together. But I just want to thank you for your ministry and Thanks. sharing Jesus and trying to equip people. And, and so, yeah, it's just good to be part of the family here in the Valley. So thank you. It is. Well, thanks. And thanks for you listening to uh, this this podcast with our special guest, Mark Driscoll. Make sure you check out next week when we have another guest on for the month of February. And uh, we will see you guys then. Thanks. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.